Hey church, it's good to be with you for an online worship service here at ABF. Uh, I love this first song with all my heart. It's one of my favorite hymns that we sing. So if you're into old hymns, uh, done with too much rock and roll influence, this is for you. Here we go, Oh Worship the King. you a new song this weekend, which we haven't done a lot of in pandemic land, but we got to learn some new songs as a church. So I heard this one, Stephanie played it for me, and I'm like, 
for the first time in five years, no joke, the worship song ended and I was like, I kind of wish that it was longer. And that does not happen because typically they're 19 minutes long and I have to kind of trim them back for, for y'all. But anyway, this song is what I'd like to call a jam, right? It's just fun. It makes you feel great. It's got great words. So imagine yourself around the campfire, kick off your shoes, especially if you're in public, do that and uh, have yourself a good time. This is called Power. It goes like this. Some may trust in horses Some may trust in chariots Oh, but I I'm gonna trust in the name of the Lord Yeah Some may trust in riches Some may trust in all they own Oh, but I, I will trust in the name of the Lord. Come on. There is wonder-working power, Holy Spirit power, great redeeming power, power in the name, resurrection power, bondage-breaking power. Welcome, ABF Online. I've missed you. It's been a few weeks. I hope you are doing well. I want to just bring you up to date on some of the stuff that's going on here at ABF as we look to the fall. Always, we want to pray for you. And again, remember that text number is 97,000, 97,000. Text us your prayer request. We would love to pray for you. 
Well, one of the things we've done while we were gone, remember we did the $100 gift challenge. We picked 50 of you who, or you picked yourselves, to give out a $100 bill to bless someone in an unusual way. Well, there are some great stories that have come in. Several of you have given your $100 bills to barbers and estheticians and hairstylists who cannot work. Another person gave their $100 bill to a restaurant owner who had just opened their restaurant in late December only to have to close it in March. Another cool story is some of you uh, paid someone's grocery bill for the people behind them. So they go in and their bill's been paid. Another of you just thought you'd bless kids at Target as their parents were checking out, handing out $5 bills to different random families so the kids could get a toy of some sort. And then uh, there was another one that was really cool. Uh, two of you combined to give $200 to someone in a Bible study that was trying to get their green card and had a number of legal fees along the way. And then I think the one that I like the best is one of you were flying back on a trip from Minnesota and you wanted to change seats so the two of you could sit together and this guy obliged and it was a really good deal because he got a seat by himself and the two of them got to sit on that plane together. When they got off the plane, and they've been looking for all kinds of ways to give this away the whole trip. And then they said, well, let's just, hopefully we'll meet the guy at baggage claim and we'll just give it to that guy. Well, they do give this $100 bill to the guy who gave up their seat to them. And then they get in this conversation. It comes to find out that the guy's name is Archie Williams. He's currently on America's Got Talent. And he's the guy who was falsely imprisoned for 37 years and is now on that show. And it was such a wonderful blessing to him as they blessed him. And so we've had a lot of fun with that, and I hope you enjoy some of those stories. Well, the rest of the news for ABF is that we have our high school and junior high one day. It's coming up next Saturday on August 22nd. It's 12 hours of nonstop fun and action with Chris and Josh and their teams from 9.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m., and you'll want to get them registered right away to Josh and Chris. And then Awana is right around the corner. You say, how can we do Awana? Because we're doing Awana outside this fall. Starts on September 15th. And this is an unbelievable opportunity for you to invite neighbors, friends, and others who may not be familiar with ABF. The graciousness of our elders, we have decided that if you are a new family to ABF or for any reason, if you are under any kind of financial stress, that there is no cost to you for uh, Awana this year. We have to have you, however, register now because we've got to plan accordingly because we want it to be safe for all the kids as they meet in small groups outside all over this campus. I'm sure you have questions about that. Check with Adrienne and she can tell you more about that as well. And then, you know, we've been doing all kinds of fun giveaways and this video that you're gonna see in just a moment has to do with this little bag. This bag has some wonderful treats. It's the gift bag giveaway to our young at heart. And as we do that, as we go into that video, I just wanna let you know, we can't do all these things. Awana scholarships, uh, $10,000 we gave away between gift cards to Ralph's and the $100 giveaways, these giveaways, without the faithful giving 
of you at the church. And you have noticed that we've been a bit behind our giving schedule, and we would love to receive your checks, either in the mail or online, however you want to give it. But we're so glad you're part of the adventure as we're making a difference in this community through your giving. Check out this video about this next giveaway. I'm waiting for like 10 minutes to do this quarantine raffle with Josh for uh, some students, but he's late. He's late. It's irritating. Josh! Hey, 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 Chris! Hey, uh, John! Hey, hey, hey! I'm oh. here! You're not Josh. I know, but you know, like, Josh is like, what, in Iowa somewhere? Oh, he's always somewhere. Yeah, we're not doing the quarantine raffle. We're no? doing the Young at Heart. Check this out. The Young at Heart gift bag goodie young, giveaway. Young at Heart, like in junior hires? Yeah, we're no, doing that. No, 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 not junior hires. This is like our senior adults. Seniors in high school. They, like, yeah. no, no, guys like with gray hair. Uh, oh, Chris. I don't, I don't deal Cr with Chris, Chris, people. Chris. I, they scare me. You can do this. I know you can do this. You can do this. Well, let's, let's show. Let's, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. look at, look at. I could get behind this. Look at, look at. We're gonna do masks. Look okay. at. It's upside like, down, but yeah. Oh, we'll yeah okay. We'll teach them how to do it the right we'll way. We'll do it the right sure. way. We got masks. Okay. Look at this, man. Oh, yeah. They're get, not, they've never gotten our oh, what, 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 ABF tumblers. Oh, that's cool. And like some candy. The Werther's originals. Didn't your oh, grandpa? Yeah, they they still make those. They still make those. All let's right. Let's do it. So let's go. I think yeah. we're gonna have some fun. Okay, we're taking the van or what? Uh, let's just take golf a golf cart. Uh, maybe golf cart. Golf cart. All right. Yeah, I like that. All right, we'll let's see you go. soon. So, John, tell me one fun fact about Bill and yes. Shouldn't you be wearing this? Yeah, you are right. You've been hanging out with Josh too much. That's true. Uh, so, uh, tell me one fun thing about Bill and Sylvia. Well, Bill and Sylvia were at ABF years ago, like 30 years ago, and then had to move out of state for a number of years. Oh. And they've just rejoined us now just a couple of years ago. That's it's awesome. great to have them back. That's so cool. That's a nice, fun fact. There we go. Hey! We're here, Bill and Sylvia Lemons. You are recipients of our first ever Young at Heart Goodie bag! Hey, there you go. Congratulations. Hey, look at All this. All right. <laughs> hey, now take this out. Look what you got in there. Ooh. Oh, my hey, goodness. Hey, look, you got your ABF mask. Oh. Put those on. Oh, we okay. should. Okay, how's that? Oh, that's awesome. Good. That's cool. Hey, on a serious note, do you have anything you want to say to your family at ABF today? Oh. You're going to be live. Oh. On Sunday, people will see this from all over the world. Oh, Anything no. you want to say to anybody? We we just really miss being there. Right, every we Sunday miss being there and seeing everybody, mm -hmm. all of our friends, and hope that this is going to end soon. Yeah. Shortly, yeah. Yeah. and that we can we can get back and, and all be normal again. Right, yeah. but uh, we've just mostly been. Staying in. Staying in, right. Doctor of visits. Oh, that was in the top Grocery store. Living room, dining room, doctor's doctor visits, grocery, grocery store. That's, there you that's, go. That's it. That's it. Uh, that's where we've been. Well, we love you guys and we miss you. And um, well, we we'll see so. you someday soon. We hope so we because hope so. We're, uh, we're getting antsy. Yeah. Uh, we're ready. <laughs> we're yeah. ready to. We're ready. 
get out of this confinement. It's not our style. Yes. Okay. Right. Well, we love you guys. Have a great day, okay? Okay, Thank God you. bless you guys. All right. Okay, Thank see you guys. Thank you. So long. Hey, Chris, you did it. I did it. Are you proud of me? Uh, give me some knuckle. I, that was not awkward or intimidating or scary or anything like that. That you know, Confession. Yeah. Young at hearts are like the nicest people ever. They are. And you know what? I think you should help me out with them. Seriously? Yeah. We'll That's invite awesome. you back. Yeah. Cool. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's plan it. All right. All right. Take care, ABF. All right. Well, greetings, church family. Uh, so fun to see some of the highlights of us getting opportunities, even during this COVID stretch, to be able to try to bless people, encourage, maybe brighten their day, and uh, grateful for the team that's been a part of that. Really, that's been one of the highlights each week is just brainstorming with our staff, like, hey, what are some things that we could radically do to try to reach out and love people uh, during this stretch? I loved hearing John's accounts of the different $100 experiences, and there's just so many more stories we could share from that if we had the uh, time to do it. I was talking to one friend that goes uh, here, and he was saying, man, when he left with that $100, he was driving home, he was feeling the, the weight and the magnitude. He's like, what do, I, what do I do with this $100? And then something clicked in his head a little bit later on when he was processing that. He's like, wait, isn't that the same that's true for any $100 that we have? Is the, aren't we called to be good stewards of that and look for ways to use that to, to bless people? So hopefully that's been a just a cool experience for those that got to participate and those that got to uh, hear stories. I hope, hopefully that's a blessing as well. Well, if you didn't already catch on, we're starting in a brand new series. We concluded our working through the book of Exodus, and now we're starting in the Gospel of John and a series titled Light the Dark. And I'm wondering, just as we start the topic of this, uh, this whole series, wondering how many here grew up fans of C.S. Lewis. Uh, more specifically, anybody that enjoyed the book series Chronicles of Narnia. I know for me in my earlier years, that was a, a formative influence just in the, my understanding of, of who God is, shaping my picture of who God is in my mind. I remember I was reminded even this last week of a particular interaction bef between Lucy and Aslan. Do you remember both of those characters? Characters, there's a, a picture of them on the screen there. Lucy's interacting, and this is in Prince Caspian, interacting and coming with a question before Aslan. And she says, Aslan, you look bigger. And his response, that's because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are, she responded. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Kind of a peculiar interaction if you think about it. Wouldn't you think that as she grows that she would find him smaller? But that's not the case in this story. In this story, as well as in our own story, as we get to know God, as we mature in our faith, as our understanding of him expands, he becomes larger and larger and more magnificent. His majesty is overwhelming. The deeper you look, into who he is, the more mature we get, the more we dive into his character and the scope of his majesty. Well, my hope in, is in this series that I'm looking forward to teaching through the book of John and we'll go as long as that'll take us. Uh, my hope in that is that for you, Jesus gets massive. 
Jesus gets huge, if you will, that he gets beyond compare. When that happens, you see, when the bigger he gets, our perspective on everything else changes. Our fears and our anxieties all of a sudden dissipate in the light of his magnitude. Our confidence and our identity as sons and daughters becomes unshakable. Our gratitude for what he's done for us becomes immense. And if you think about it, our worship no longer is something that's contrived. Instead, it's, it's focused, deliberate, exuberant, and loud. That's my prayer going into this series that God would become huge. Let me pray for that before we begin. God, we thank you for this chance to be together and study your word, even though it's maybe less than ideal circumstances, maybe uh, not the opportunity to be together necessarily, but a chance to still nonetheless explore the depths of your greatness, the depths of your majesty. And I do believe that that changes our perspective on everything. When we start to see you for who you are, God, I pray that even in our time together now that our perspective would change, that there's be a, a glimpse that wasn't there before of who you are coming through this four, first section of the book of John. We invite that. We invite your spirit to move. I pray for an extra dose of encouragement for everyone watching this here today, that they would sense your presence in a thick and tangible way. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me start by giving a little bit of an intro to the book, what we're dealing with in the study in John. And it's, it's fun to have a sweet little Sela here as a, a part of our audience. And normally I'm trying to keep people awake for Sela. I'm okay if she sleeps or whatever she's comfortable with, but either way, uh, fun to see the next generation uh, studying God's word. But little foundation for our series here, uh, just a First off, you don't have to wonder very long who wrote the book. Anybody have any guess about that based on the title? John, nice job. See, the, the, the group up here is pretty uh, sharp. Uh, it's the earliest account of any of the four Gospels. It's written by the Apostle John. And it's, uh, what's interesting about it is he was the, the, the youngest and also the first to write the book but uh, the, the account, but 90% of the content in the book of John is not repeated in the other gospels. You might wonder why that is. Most would suggest because he had an inside track to Jesus like no one else. Most would argue that John was probably Jesus's best friend. He was a fisherman. He had a nickname called Son, uh, Son of Thunder, also with his brother James. He was the one that Jesus, before dying, if you remember the gospel account, he's the one that Jesus asked to take care of his mother once he was gone. Kind of a beautiful picture. You can really tell a lot by somebody by who they choose to care for their mom. So likely most theologians believe, theologians believe he was his closest friend. My uh, best friend since I was little, Joe Basil, is actually visiting with me this weekend. It's kind of cool because I think about him and stories that he would probably be able to tell that many people wouldn't know because they haven't had that experience. That's similar for John in this account. Augustine, though, I loved his description of John. He said, the book of John is deep enough for an elephant to swim, but shallow enough for a child not to drown. 
So often it's the book that we point a new believer to, to explore and get to know who Jesus is. And that's the beautiful thing of the picture of John that's painted, a biblical starting point, if you will. The purpose, though, of John is clearly described later on in the book. Chapter 20, verse 31 says this. It says, it was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's intended to convince the audience, the listener, it's intended for them to understand the identity of Jesus Christ that can transform their life now and their life to come. And it opens up these first 18 verses that we're looking at here today are actually an an introductory poem, if you will. And so not necessarily written a normal format, but instead an introduction to God. And it doesn't start in a manger scene. Instead, it starts with in the beginning. So look with me in John chapter one, verse one. That's what it says. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We'll start there, obviously, like any introduction, this goes a lot into identity. We can all agree that identity is very important. Something that we take very seriously here as a nation, really anywhere you go, you have to most likely, if it's an important place, you need to have proper identification. You show up at an airport, you have to show an ID or a passport. If you show up at the doctor's office, you need your insurance card, your ID, paperwork, all that stuff. My son Chase is starting a new school this year, and we had mountains of paperwork to work through with him, IDs. If you buy a house, you literally work through a mound of paperwork this high, making sure you are who you say you are and you make as much money as you claim. All of those things, ID is very important. Important. If you vote for the president of the United States, well, actually ID isn't as important there. But nonetheless, here, this personal introduction goes straight to identifying the main character in this story, and it's not John. Who's he introducing? He's introducing Jesus Christ, and he starts with a most shocking statement. You see it there right out of the gates. The word was with God, and the word was God. Now, before creating the universe, Jesus, for Jesus to be with God and was God, the only explanation that can make sense for that is the Trinity. That explains those two descriptors. He was with him, but he also was him. So he is present with him. He lived in community with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as is unpacked throughout scripture. But he is also distinct in his own person. So here he's pre-existent. That means he existed before anything created. He was coexistent, so he, he coexists with God. And he is also self-existent as part of the Trinity. I know that can get confusing, but here the thing that I want to make sure we're clear on is his identity as God himself. Not just present with God, but it says that he was God. A number of months back, just before COVID, I uh, tend to play basketball on Saturdays with a group of guys over at, Hill, over at Oaks Christian. 
and a group of guys that play every single Saturday. And I'd ask the director, because he normally starts with a time of prayer, if I could have just five minutes to share the gospel with this group of 20 or 30 guys, just because I felt convicted about that. And in that gospel presentation, I used a term that you've probably heard me use once or twice in a sermon. I, I referred to Jesus as God in an earth suit that God had come down to dwell amongst us as our rescue plan. I was talking about that. And afterwards, the guy pulled me aside and he was correcting me. And he was explaining to me, Jesus was the son of God, but he wasn't God. He was the son of God, but he wasn't God. I was kind of asking, I'm like, well, where, where did you land on that conclusion? I was like, what, what faith background do you come from? He explained that he was Baptist. I'm like, ooh, you're not a good Baptist, but he is not understanding. You're not understanding the, the basic principles. Uh, sorry if I'm saying he's not a good Baptist, but the foundational truth that we cling to is the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ. It's what put him on the cross, that claim. It's what's described here. He's not just somebody part of the creation. He is the creator and is one with God part of the triune God, if you will. Otherwise, this description, if you don't have that clear in your mind, if you're not clear that Jesus is God in the flesh, otherwise, then you just, your faith falls into the umbrella of really most every other world religion. If you're a Mormon, you would believe that God, that Jesus was a created being who became like a God. And we have the ability to become like God. But here's the reality, just like whether it's a, a Muslim, Hindu, Jehovah's Witness, all of them, what sets us apart from them is all of them believe that Jesus was part of creation. What do we see here? In the beginning, before anything existed, all the stuff we're familiar with, any of it, God was there. Jesus was there. He was part of the creative process that brought us into existence Otherwise, it, this, is a, this is a belief that we're dependent on. It's essential to saving faith. Otherwise, a finite man would not be qualified as your rescue from sin. So my question for you to start our time together is who do you claim that Jesus is? Who do you claim that? Was he a good teacher? Was he a good moral person? Was he a, a created man that achieved higher uh, whatever? Or was he God in the flesh? According to John, his best friend, he was God in the flesh. Verses four and five explain him that he was God in the flesh, that he was breaking into the darkness that pervaded this world. We're seeing as we look around the landscape of our current climate that we're in a pretty dark place. A lot of you, if you're like me, I get discouraged. Even just turning on the evening news, the, the directions that man is going in the darkness that he's following, whether it's murdering the unborn for convenience, whether it's child slavery, whether it's sexual perversion in every form, whether it's lawlessness, whether it's greed, whether it's hunger for power, whether it's habitual dishonesty, whether it's racism, I would say that the external pressures of this season are exposing eternal depravity of all mankind. You're getting to see it on full display on the evening news. That's why I thought it was important for us to look at this light that was breaking into darkness. 
So important to, to come back to him as the one hope, the one that can point us in the right, right direction. If you have, have young kids or have had young kids, you may remember being on hikes with them and having seasons or at the, at the amusement park and you have seasons where they get out ahead of themselves. And you start to step back and you're like, hey, they don't know where they're going. Let's see where they take us. We've done that with our kids a number of times. You watch them and you're like, they have no idea which way they're headed. And it's kind of fun to see the craziness of where they'll start to head. And eventually you have to break through and tell them, you're going the wrong way. You have no idea where you're going. And I think that's a little bit of what we're dealing with in our current world situation, bringing us back to the light. Let's jump to verse six as we continue in this description. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Stop there just for a moment because this can be a little confusing because it's written by John, but he's not talking about himself here. He's actually clarifying some details about John the Baptist. Next week, John is gonna be teaching and he's explaining even further about John the Baptist. But here, this is a description to make sure we're clear on the role that John the Baptist played. Some cool things about John the Baptist, really, in human history, there's never been somebody that's been described as having the Holy Spirit all the way even back in his mother's womb. His birth itself is miraculous, based on his parents' age and what Jesus declared about him, he can't say about anybody else. Matthew eleven eleven. this is what Jesus says about John the Baptist. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. How cool is that? Wouldn't you love to have that as part of your, your resume, a description? But here's the thing that's important. Even with all of those credentials, He's maybe confronting, a lot of theologians believe he's con uh, confronting some false conclusions about who John was from his day. Even with all of those wonderful things about John the Baptist, what does the text say? It says he was not the light. Be clear, there's only one light and it's not you. In fact, if you're with somebody right now, tell them right now, you're not the light. Adrian, <laughs> she was very happy to tell me that. This takes some of the pressure off, in my opinion. I think about this like, wait a second, I don't have to be, now I get it, you can point to verses about being the, a light on a hill, I get all of that, but my main idea here is that the primary light that we all are reflecting is Jesus Christ. I was having lunch with a friend from the church just a couple of weeks ago, and he was sharing about his desire to share the gospel with a coworker he's been working with for many years, 10 plus years, and his, his friend is, is sick and is really his, his life and future is a, a little bit uh, questionable. And it's interesting because in our interaction, he's like, man, but I'm hesitant to, to, to share the gospel with him because he's seen the good and the bad sides of who I am. He's seen a little bit of both. And here's the wonderful news for the person that hesitates about that. Our identity is strictly as a witness to the light. You're not the hope. You're not the one that's going to rescue them. You're strictly pointing them to the rescue. I may have talked about this before, but as I get older, I forget what stories I tell, but I was uh, really thrown off by uh, one of my pastors that I looked up to back in Chicago when 
uh, some charges of sexual misconduct came to light and just finding out some, some details about his ministry that were really heartbreaking. And talking to a, a friend, they said, man, this is gonna be really damaging to the gospel. Thought about that statement for quite a while and really what I've concluded is I don't think it's damaging at all to the gospel. Maybe the gospel that elevates and celebrates man, but the gospel that points to the fact that preachers and pastors like myself and others need grace as much as anyone else, if not more. Here's the reminder, the good news for John the Baptist and the good news for you and I, all of us are strictly here to bear witness. It even says that he came to bear witness. In other words, God's design for his life his plan for his life was that John the Baptist would be a witness to Jesus Christ's arrival. I love that. But I also think through that, the process through that, that his plan for him was to be a witness. Here's the thing that throws me off sometimes with the God's plan piece. Sometimes I hear people try to encourage them in the middle of difficulty saying, you know what? God has a plan for you, for you to prosper. Some verses that for sure are, are applicable, even though written for directly to the Jewish people, sometimes people get a little bit off track with what God's plan is necessarily for someone's life. It's not always for things to get better. That's why I get hesitant to, to, and cautious about warning people and saying, hey, I'm not gonna always say that God's plan is necessarily better. God's plan or for you to get better or, or a happier existence. For John, God's plan was for him to be a witness. And guess what was also part of God's plan for John's life? Anybody that knows how his life ended, it ended with his, with his head literally on a platter. For Stephen, God had a plan for him to be a witness and his life ended with stones. Not always is God's plan as witnesses mean that it means we're gonna be comfortable and without ease, it makes you wonder what we'll see even in our lifetime as it relates to that. But here we get to see clearly that God's plan for him was a witness and it's the same plan for you and I. Verse nine, you see how people respond to the light. It says the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. One thing you'll realize if you've ever dealt with a, a surprise noise in the middle of the night or something that startled you, the first thing that you wanna rush and do is get light on the situation. A couple months back, I remember being woken up in the middle of the night and it was kind of in the, the middle of some of the, the chaos and the, the rioting that was going on. And so everybody was a little bit on edge. I heard a noise and I was rushing downstairs. And the first thing I was doing as I got downstairs and I forget what club or thing I'd picked up to protect our family. But the thing I'm doing, the very first thing I'm doing is rushing to, to flip on as many light switches as possible. Why, why do we do that? Why do we turn on the light? Because we understand that the light exposes what's potentially hiding in the dark. That's, that's the reality. That's how light works. 
It exposes what's hiding. And here's the reality of when Jesus entered in. It says that he came to this earth and man rejected him. And the irony that it points to in that is saying, even though he made them, made the earth, made them, they still reject him. And why is that? John 3, 19, a couple chapters later, we're going to see, because the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. I don't know if you've watched any action movies before or any kind of a uh, a scene where they have a helicopter over a forest. And really there's two potential outcomes. If somebody is lost and looking for help, they run out into the spotlight of the helicopter with hands raised. Yes, come rescue me. Or there's the other response in movies. What's the other response? Often you see if somebody's guilty of something, they're finding a tree to hide behind. They're finding something to get under. They're trying to not be seen as much as possible. And the same is true in our response to the light. Our response to the light because of our love for sin is not necessarily what should be happening. Much of the world, though, is unaware of their precarious situation, not realizing that they're one breath away from standing before the judge of the universe, having rejected his only begotten son. One breath from eternal condemnation. But the truth is sin's irrational. The sin says, I love my sin so much, I'll do anything. I'll take the risk of eternal judgment just to protect my sin and reject the light that's broken into the world. The alternative, and really this section points really a, a summary of all mankind, the choice that we have, either reject the light, and then he says, for those who receive the light, those that have embraced Jesus, what is, the, what is offered to that person? It says that they have the right to become children of God. I like that, that picture of right. It's kind of like a, a birth certificate showing proof that you are part of the family. Think about that description. He says, unlike natural blood birth or, or the will of parents, this is a, a supernatural thing. God adopts us as his beloved children because of that choice to embrace him in his son. Here's the good news though, is what we've embraced is a life altering thing. It changes everything. Verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Again, correcting maybe some misunderstanding about John's role in all of this, but either way, he's pointing to this reality that the word Jesus Christ became flesh and dwelt among us. I love that the word dwelt is actually the exact same word in the Greek that's used for tabernacle back in Exodus. It's the same word to say that, that, that Jesus came down to tabernacle with us, to be amongst us. And he's on display of God's, all of God's glory through Jesus Christ. I love the description though, and you see it so many times in describing Jesus Christ. It says that we, he was full of grace and truth. He walked that line perfectly. 
And I don't just say that as an expression. He literally walked that line perfectly between grace and truth. As a parent, I try so hard to figure out that balance of how often to come with guns blazing full of truth and when to come with a little bit more grace. I don't know about you. Most of us lean one particular direction in our family. Adrian, what would you say you lean more towards? She's the grace. Who would you say is a little bit more of the truth? <laughs> a little bit more of the truth. Every one of us, Chris, where do you? No grace, no grace, just, just truth, just truth. All of us have a particular bent towards one or the other. The thing is, is that if we're going to emulate Jesus Christ, he walks the line perfectly. He knows when to come guns a-blazing. He knows when to come and, and, and giving the, the needed grace of his kids. That's the amazing thing. As adopted children, we have a God that walks that line perfectly, full of grace and full of truth. Goes on to describe that a little bit further in verse 16. It says, for from his fullness, we have all received, I love this expression, grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. I don't know if you've ever given this thought. I was kind of stewing on this this week that really our creator could have been any type of God. He could have been somebody that found joy out of, out of tormenting his creation. He could, have been, he could have been mean and cruel. But instead, what do we see is true about our God? Instead, we get grace upon grace. I love that. As if it wasn't enough for him to say, he's a God full of grace. He's like, no, it's, he, he just keeps pouring it on. That, that's all somebody that's a child of God knows is his grace, his forgiveness, his grace, his forgiveness. I'm not saying absent of discipline, but just more and more grace in our life. My kind and patient Canadian wife, Adrian, has a tendency to be full of grace. We already concluded that a few moments ago. She tends, and in fact, she's the defender. If there's ever something said about somebody else, she's always the one to correct. No, they're not that bad. No, she's always pouring out. Is this true? She tries to pour out grace on grace. But here's what I've also noticed about my grace-filled wife. If you come in and turn on the lights after she has fallen asleep, you are no longer getting grace. It's not grace on top of grace. It's absent of grace. The, the, the dark side of the Canadian culture comes out in my lovely wife. And here, you're like, why are we dogging my wife? Mostly grace, very little uh, upset if you wake her up. But here's the thing. Our God is better than a, even the best Canadian. He's better than even the best Canadian. He's a God that pours out grace that's known for it. It's like an overdose of it. It's a smorgasbord of grace with our God. This is what John, his very best friend, is revealing about him. This is what he's explaining about our God. And the more you get to know him, the more you get to know him, the more he's described and the more you grasp his character, you're like, man, why would anyone run from that light? So my question for us is what Jesus often would ask, who do you say that Jesus is? 
And for those that have embraced who Jesus is, remember the more that you grow, the bigger he gets. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this section of scripture that brings so much clarity to who you are. Your identity is on full display. This beautiful resume of who you are, the perfect balance of grace and truth, the, the creator, the designer, the one that was here from the beginning with God and you are God. I pray that these realities about who you are would sink in deep, they take root and they would propel us to a confidence during these trying times. They would compel us to worship and sing your praises. They would compel us to share, uh, to be witnesses of the light. God, we thank you for this time to be together in your word, for your grace, for your love, for your truth. We pray this now in Jesus Christ's name, amen. today we worship today came to us with grace and in truth still with us but still on the move the same jesus he is making us new he is making us new Team.
All right, church family. Well, hopefully this has been a blessing to you being in God's word. We definitely miss seeing many of you and thankful for sweet little Selah. And God bless you. Have a wonderful week.